Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show and round four with Josh Story and the self-authoring program. Welcome back, Mr. Story. Hello, it's good to be back. I'm glad to be here on this nice Friday morning. There's a good energy in the air Isn't on there? Fridays because I think people are, a lot of people are so, so desperate for that weekend. Oh yeah. It's not their fault, it's just the nature of the lifestyle that a lot of us live. That's like, everyone on Fridays going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like the music on the radio is like, mm, mm, mm. everyone's like in a good mood. People on the road are a bit kinder. You do feel the difference. It's also like a, an easy, an easy in for a conversation with anyone. Like if you haven't even met someone before, <laughs> And you're like, hey, hey, no, 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 no. hey, looking forward to the weekend? Oh, yeah. what's, uh, what's hey, it? What's it doing? I mean, yeah, I guess it all That's those. how people talk in my mind, by the way. They're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, like finger guns and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, man. Uh, I'm also proud that we managed to avoid the trap of talking too much before we started recording because I feel like we lose too much. Too much gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, you're too kind. You won't cut me off. Yeah. <laughs> you won't say, listen, let's start recording. You're like, yeah, good point. Yeah. What about? <laughs> ah, I just find people interesting, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of an egotistical thing to get to a point where you realize, you know what? Only us hearing our conversations is not enough people. Like, everyone needs to hear what we talk about. I know, and people are, I'm so like... I feel so grateful and lucky when I'm getting so many messages from people saying, hey, I just listened to the podcast, I loved wow. this point, and I'm going, that is amazing, wow. <laughs> to be honest, for someone to listen to it and then, you know, come back. Why aren't they messaging me that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's unusual for me, I'm sure, over oh, time that, that would reduce, but yeah. for the, fa the fact that there's literally... A, I mean, literally, and people mm. have used that word, but yeah. there's literally millions of choices of yeah. distraction and entertainment. Yeah. And for someone to sit down for an hour to listen to our conversation, True. I just go, that is such a compliment. Wow. Thank you so much. Actually, tell me what you think of this. I was having a conversation with a friend about this the other day, because there's this, this thing that people have talked about for years of attention spans mm. and how our attention spans are, are potentially shortening. Wow. But then you think about the podcast and Netflix phenomenon mm. where somebody can listen to a two hour podcast mm. or they'll watch like eight episodes of a one hour TV series back to back. Mm. So the conversation we had was, well, is our, our, our attention span lengthening or shortening? And what came out of it from my perspective was that I think in the presence of poor quality choices, people have low attention spans. But when you have a high quality option, people have got the ability to persevere with it. Because mm. I feel like a lot of the TV or stuff that we have is generically quite average. Mm. So it creates this illusion of people having no attention span. Mm. Maybe it's not attention span. Maybe it's that most of the stuff we do is boring and uninteresting and uninengaging. Mm. And then we blame people for not being interested. Mm. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's loaded, man. Isn't it? It's a loaded concept so and loaded, loaded topic. Yep. Um, I feel like, from my perspective, the reason people can sit down and have a Netflix binge for eight hours or whatever right. is because it's such high quality. Yeah. But I think that is, mm, I feel like it's almost, it's easier mm. to, to ride the wave because the writing is so good and mm. it's easier to ride this wave, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, sure. But it's just, I feel like if you overdo easy things in life, mm. you start to become, um, you lose your ability to be entertained by things that aren't easy, mm. which is normal life. Mm. It's, the, it's the ocean, it's the trees, it's the stars. Oh, wow. You can't appreciate those things unless 
you, you got to sit with it. Yeah. It's not easy. But once you get there, it's like, whoa, this is so much more real than if I was watching this through a screen. Sure. But it just, you got to invest that time. And I know for me, if I watch too much of this stuff, mm. I find my attention span does shorten in the sense yeah. that, you know, I'm looking at the stars and I'm going, oh, like, I'll just go inside and watch a, watch a TV show. That's right. much easier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think that's a good direction. Mm. Yeah, actually what came to mind when you said that was thinking about junk food. Mm. That it's the same principle, perhaps, that you think you want a Big Mac and fries. Mm. But when you actually have a quality meal, you go, oh, wow, that was so much better. I agree. I agree. I, that's, that's a perfect yeah, metaphor, I think. Oh, I have for perfection where I can, so. <laughs> uh, hey, for the sake of relevance, um, this, this episode is particularly the last of our discussions around the self-authoring program. Um, and we've completed the, the past authoring. So we kind of went back through time, right? We started with the future one, and then we looked at our present virtues and present faults, and now the Now we're digging up the past. Digging up the past. Can I be, I didn't actually enjoy this one as much. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, because I really did. Really? Yeah. Okay, tell me yeah. more about that. I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia, but yeah. sitting down and going and trying to space out my life. Sure. Um, and see the seasons and see the lessons right was really things that i'm i'm already living by these lessons but, oh, but cool. then i see oh that's why yeah you know i live this way that's why i'm they've got this weird thing where no you know we all have our our own sort of unusual things that we got from childhood or yeah. whatever so yeah i yeah. like to look at that stuff oh that's cool it makes me feel like oh See, because my childhood was a bit of a downer. So, like, that's probably what it is. It's like, every, when I was going through each thing, I was like, ah, okay, yes. oh, this again. Ah, right. And, like, yes. one of the things that, as I was going through it too, um, I don't know how much of this is just the kind of thing you tell yourself to justify what you already think, because there's probably a bit of that in there. Oh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, no one can drop that bias. <laughs> uh, but just that thought that even those things that happened in the past that were kind of negative or created things like lower self-esteem or whatever, to realize, well, that's just thinking from the past anyway. Like I don't, the, the power of being present is so much stronger than that. Because mm. I think there is a temptation to dredge up the past and go through everything and kind of hyper-analyze it and this kind of stuff, which you can do if you want. Um, or you can look to take lessons from it, which you mentioned, but being present takes all that out of the equation. It's like, I don't know, maybe if you've got some recurring negativity, it's worth doing that. But it just made me see the power of being present and going, well, for all those things, it kind of doesn't matter, like, right now. Because mm -hmm. I'm not in that space, I'm not that person, whatever. Yeah, I hear you, man. Because that's not, like, the, it's not the mainstream sort of idea, right? Mm -hmm. Around, like, it's like psychology, you should dig deep. Yeah. But I can see what you mean, where it's like, I can imagine any sort of holy man of any religion going up to the mountains. Yeah. He's not sitting there analyzing his past he's sure. just going i'm here right i'm here mm. so i'm gonna just be here and present i'm gonna pray a lot i'm gonna do whatever yeah. they're gonna do i'm gonna meditate a lot yeah but it's the same sort of i think it's that's sort of what you're doing yeah that's the approach you're taking which yeah. can see the beauty in that yeah um it's yeah it's a weird thing though right how do you approach your past and i know even with reading some of the descriptions um, that 
what Peterson and his team talk about, because again, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, Jordan Peterson was one of the central figures creating this program and saying that a lot of the, the feeling that we carry is due to, we haven't really resolved these situations that we've been in. And so if we revisit them in our minds and we still have a, a, a feeling reaction to them that's perhaps negative, there's something in it that we haven't resolved yet. Mm. Which might be true. I don't know, what do you think about that? Well, I think, because I mean, I'm coming from my own bias and my own sure. bias is, I watched, you know, I've heard the stories of my parents who they sort of had similar, like a rough childhood. Sure. But it, I can put, but I can see the benefit of that when I look yeah. at their life because I can see how mm. that hard beginning made them really tough internally and mm. in some ways externally mm. to the point where they could go out and, you know, make, you know, make, get, make themselves comfortable and, sure. and make themselves wealthy, which they, they never saw themselves you know sure as kids dirt poor yeah and and now even now at their age they're still going strong and i feel like part of that was the hard childhood where for me and my generation a lot of us we had really good childhoods in the Mm. sense that we were protected we get we were given a lot of comfort we were sheltered a lot yeah and that was such a gift Mm. at the same time you get out into the world and you hit it a lot harder because my sensitivity has turned up sure and i'm just because i'm not used to dealing with um some of the heavy things that got that would have probably been better for me in some ways yeah. to be less sheltered but, but even that's silly I mean it feels silly to say because no, no, man, I, I, it's I, like I, complaining about privilege it's like yeah I was privileged and that's why I'm weaker now and it's like well, that feels... there's, there's a lot of truth to that though bro like, yeah. I just finished a book called Anti-Fragile I was telling you about just before we started recording um, which I, I would very highly recommend by a guy called Nassim Nicholas Taleb, in case you're looking it up. But he talks about this principle and how we have a belief in our culture that tells us that we are fragile and need to be protected. Mm. But we also have phrases in our culture that say things like, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm. And so I think a question you need to answer for yourself is, well, which one is it? Mm. And there's truth from my perspective that we are anti-fragile up to a point but that point is a lot higher than we think it is exactly yeah that like you mentioned through dealing with disappointment the only way the only way to learn how to ride a bike is to fall off a bike yeah the only way to get better at anything is to do it badly yeah to begin with yeah and without that exposure to failure and those sorts of things you don't learn that failure doesn't kill you exactly and that and that just creates, I think that creates the definition of anxiety. You can find True. that. It's that sort of like, um, yeah, there's a, you know, well, bad one the, At the risk of doing a second book review. Um, <laughs> one of the other points that, that comes out was that one of our sources of anxiety is that life is really uncertain. Like mm. there's a lot of randomness. Yeah. And you can't really control for it. Yeah, totally. You know what I love about guys like your dad and and other friends of mine who I know have done well in business is that they wouldn't probably describe themselves as the most like intellectual of people. They're not. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. They're they're (laughs) not like, you know, deep, deep thinkers on the one hand, but they're doers. Yeah. And one thing that you observe is that, well, life is so random. People who sit back, because I'm guilty of this. This is why I say it struck me is that we, we want to have a plan or a projection of what we're doing and, and understand what the angles could be and we don't like being surprised. Mm-hmm. Whereas you find people who've done really well, literally just went out and started doing stuff. Yeah. And then they like tinkered as they went. 
And that seems to be a far more efficient and successful way of building a life in any context mm. than being more concerned with I need to have an understanding of everything and plan for everything mm. and know what's going on because we just can't do it. Yeah, totally. And that's the that's the start of the story for so many huge movements mm. is like uh, some business owner was bankrupt three times right. and then he right. hit it and now he's living his, his best life, you know, so yeah. whatever. <laughs> and so it's, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. That, that point about bankruptcy actually was, I found it quite encouraging because I've heard that kind of stat. It's something like millionaires have been bankrupt on average more than two times yeah. in their life. It's something yeah. like 2.3, 2.5, yeah. something like that. And one of the things... When you talk about past, right, is you look at that and I think, what does it teach you? Well, I think for a lot of people, probably for myself as well, like being declared bankrupt probably ranks as one of the worst things that could happen to you. Yeah, it seems like a death. Well, it is a death it's in a way. Awful, it's right? like a part of you dying. Yeah. And then you think, well, then what can you say for a person who has now faced the worst thing that could possibly happen? Totally. And, and he's still and he's still like actually I woke up this morning yeah sun's oh, actually feeling oh, pretty good dead. Yeah. oh wow <laughs> that's a gift that's a gift it is a gift man mm. it is a gift like failing failing big and failing often yeah and I think it's like chicken pox you know the, the younger you get it the better bro <laughs> you know what I mean so... <laughs> get it out of the way uh, you get it as an adult you might literally die <laughs> yeah that's true well wow. yeah yeah so like take a risk and, and maybe die a little yeah. bit yeah, and that, oh man, that's, you just hit on what has been reoccurring for the, probably the last six months of my life. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The theme of death and rebirth. Okay. In the sense of, you know, parts of having to die to certain um, things, mm. like Jesus um, on the cross, mm. and then buried, and then, re, and then reborn. Yeah. Um, killing things like addictions to sugar or... Um, comforts that I don't need sure sort of like the Jesus in the in the desert doing his 40 day fast thing yeah, that was yeah. a death yeah he went out there like that's a death you must like for any human being right mm. to do that so um and then baptism is also this sort of death picture sure where and did I tell you I'm not sure if I've told you this before but it's a fact I love to I okay. love to spout out yeah it's that originally baptism was they would hold you underwater yeah until you'd almost drowned and then pull you up. Oh, no way. And the whole point was to give you this yes. near-death experience. Sure. And then when you come out, you obviously go, oh, I've gone through that. Yeah. And, and during that process, I'm thinking, I'm worried about all the wrong things. Sure. I, I want to follow God. Yeah. And then you got Christians using all this language about, I was buried with Christ. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I, was, yeah. I have been died. I yeah. have died with Christ and now I'm re reborn. Yeah. And it's the same thing in a lot of religions also. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There's, There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. And I, I wonder if that relates to the past, because mm. you said you've had like a tough childhood. Do you mm. feel like you've, like, um, have you died to that yeah. feeling, or is yeah, it, that's, are you holding on to it for some reason? Uh, it's that's a good question. Um, I, I wondered that when, when I revisited some of the stuff and I wonder why because in almost every way that I can think of I'm not that same kid and I will say one thing that stood out to me too though was in terms of context right that my, my challenges um, are so first world problems yeah. uh, 
Now, in that, I think, I don't think it's fair to say to people, oh, well, that's, that's such a first world problem. Like, look, for, for any individual, your problems are your problems. Like, being told that it shouldn't be a problem is kind of a thing you have to come to for yourself. Um, we tend to resist when somebody says that shouldn't matter to you. So, well, okay, fine, but it does. Now what? Um, and so for me, like, you know, I never went hungry. Like I, I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't physically abused or sexually abused growing up. Mm. So when I look at my challenges, as real as they were, they were more, if I say personal, psychological. Mm. You know, I was very insecure and, and, you know, got bullied a lot and, and didn't have a strong sense of who I was and, mm. and those sorts of things. And there's reasons for that. Mm. So I know with who I am now, like that's, when I tell people that kind of thing now, they tend to be shocked. Like when I say, oh, like I have very little confidence and I do all this kind of stuff. Mm. So I don't know, more than that, it's, it's hard to know how much more of that is still a thing. I don't know, what's on, what, what comes to mind for you? I reckon that like that sort of thing is that if you're poor, you're thinking about meeting your immediate needs, mm, right? Sure. That's, that's your priority. So yeah. life is quite simple, really. It's like, yeah, yeah. we just need to get food. Why? Right. Because we're hungry. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Now, once you have that food, now you're sitting at from a position of, I need to get, what? Do I need to do better than my parents? Do I need sure, to, yeah. how do I know that I'm not a failure mm. in life? I've been given so much, mm. you know? Mm. Just as you said, with a sort of more... Um, secure childhood in those yeah. you know extreme ways there's none of that but still like to living the is a very heavy you know thing at times sure. yeah and so that's something i think we should share i think that some yeah my perspective on that was the fact that we can have these kind of existential questions are such a reflection of the privilege that we have anyway like you mentioned if you're living somewhere where you just need to get 2,000 calories a day. Like, that's yeah. that's the prize. Can yeah. I get 2,000 calories a day? Yeah. Okay, that's step one. Step two is, can I get 2,000 calories a day for me and my family? Right. Right? In fact, you tend to see much more heroic and sacrificial gestures in that kind of community as well, right? That's very Where true. Someone will sacrifice their calorie intake, which sounds very scientific, but, I mean, it's real as hell when you're... And, that, and a lot more happiness within <clears throat> that. Like there's <clears throat> a lot, there's a lot more contentment because once sure. you've done that for the day, you can kind of relax. Right. You know, there's no thing of like, oh, I got to keep working to get a, sure. to get an expensive, you know, right. status symbol. Now it's like, no, we're all we're all fed. Don't worry about status. You can relax into life and have those moments. Well, and there's something very freeing in an odd way about powerlessness. Right. Which this is a, this is a weird thing I've been wrestling with, right? But you, you learn very young that. If you can make a credible case for saying it wasn't my fault, that's that's a good out. Right. Wow. I never heard it put that way. Yeah. yeah. Very you true. Very early, right? Very true. And, and we amplify that as we go through life. The easiest way to get out of feeling bad about something is to prove that it wasn't my fault. Yes. Now, when you are living in extreme poverty, mm. nobody expects you to have a Ferrari. Yeah. You know, there's something powerful in some ways about saying, well, what are the things that I can do and can't do? And that's very much where my head's at at the moment. Like even the 12-step um, program mm -hmm. or the, what do they call it? The serenity prayer is, is about things like, okay, acknowledging that my life is out of control, but what are the things that I can then take responsibility for and what are the things that I can't? 
and not misattributing things. Mm. That to me seems to be one of the real wisdom keys of life. Yeah. Which is really complex, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just starting to think about it now. I'm like, well, you can go, yeah, you can get deep with that for sure. Yeah. In your own sort of Sure. Or what, what comes to mind when you think about that for you? Um, I think about the... I think about the systems of governance. I think about... Mm-hmm. This, probably the best book I've ever read mm-hmm. is this philosophical essay, and it's called Status Anxiety. Oh, okay. And I've, read, and I've gone through it like four times. No way. On audiobook, so I don't oh. know if that's better or worse. That's if it's more impressive or less. <laughs> but I just love it. I have it going. And one of the things is it talks about um, how back in the days when there was royalty and lords and status in society, you're pretty much born into a good family or you're born to a fisherman and you're a fisherman, born to right. a butcher and you're a butcher. Yeah. And they said, we look at that and we say, those poor people, that was, they were so oppressed by those, right. by those lords and ladies. Sure. But actually, they could relax into it because there was no pressure for them to become a lord or lady. Right. It was impossible. Mm. Where today, it is possible for us to become, quote unquote, lords or ladies, if you work hard enough. (laughs) If you just work hard enough, if you're lucky enough, if you deserve to be up there, you will be. And if you're not, you should feel like, well, you should know your place. Exactly. It's on us now. Where back then, it's like, my dad's a butcher, I'm a butcher. Okay, sweet. See, I would challenge that a little bit because I think there's a little bit of romanticism about what human nature is like. And I, I don't believe fundamentally that human nature has really changed at all. Mm-hmm. And one thing about human nature is that human wants are infinite. And no matter what level you're at, you know, we talked about being in extreme poverty. And if you go from being in extreme poverty to, say, being the next level up, you would think that at that point you'd be like, wow, this is incredible. Like now I, I don't have to worry about food anymore. But you'll find something else to be dissatisfied about. Yes. Like, you know, dissatisfaction is a hallmark of human nature. And I think that... I think it's a flaw of oh, human absolutely. nature. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Meaning um, we can work on it. It's a, it's a yeah. trait of holiness to, mm. to, to, to go away from that. Well, what's, the, what's that phrase, uh, the, the, the verse that says like, uh, godliness with contentment is great game? Godliness with contentment. What, do you, what does that mean? Uh, well, Can as you, I understand it. Yes, not, not as me, you understand yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, of course, how else <laughs> would I answer that? What a ridiculous <laughs> thing know. to say. It's like, well, no, it's a good point, yeah, though, because yeah. when you're talking about the Bible, I think it's an important yeah, yeah. thing to throw in, because that, okay, sure. that's a whole other topic. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> but sorry, go on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what does it mean to be godly? I mean, that's a great question across any faith, right? I, I, I think that there are virtues that are central to faith that are not necessarily virtues outside of a faith context. So you think about things like materialism and and status. Those are not necessarily highly valued in any of the world's great religions, Mm. Um, although they all also provide pathways to getting status. Go figure. Um, But to to, to know what's really important and to live according to what's really important and then also to be content with what you have in the season that you have it. Mm-hmm. That is, I think the reason that it's commendable is that it's also not natural. Like you won't naturally arrive at that place without a journey of, of introspection and challenging why you're doing the things that you're doing. Because we don't always do things for the best of reasons. Mm. I hear you, man. I just... Uh... Can you can you speak more to that? 
Yeah, sure. What, anything in particular? Um, the... I just, I just, I think, I look at Jesus, mm-hmm. and I just see the way, you know, he just, he wasn't a businessman. Mm. And I don't think that would have even made sense if Jesus was a businessman. I'm not saying we shouldn't have businessmen today, because, right, right. you know, people, you're right, you know, at the end of the day, people got to eat and feed their families, but, sure. I don't know, he just seemed like a bit of a hippie to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean. In that sense. I think, I, I think it's easy I can't to imagine take... Jesus having a lot of wants. Well. Maybe not, but I think that's also partly why he's held up as like the ideal man. Um, his background, we know that he would have had a business. But when you say ideal, does that mean like impossible? No, I think, I think an ideal, when I think of idealism, because I would consider myself an idealist, one of the best things that I learned from being involved in business for a while was mm-hmm. realizing that those who achieve things, even like going, coming back to that example of your dad, have an ideal of what they would like stuff to be. But they're also prepared to go, okay, but where I am right now is not there. So what's something that I can do today that will possibly get me closer to that? Because people like that, in my observation, again, if my trap would be to say, okay, well, I think it's 20 steps for me to get from here to there. Now, it might be 20, it might be 10, it might be 50. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I would get bogged down in the number of steps it will take. Yeah, I hear you. Whereas people who tend to make progress better than I do aren't so much worried about how many steps it will be it's more okay well what's the next thing that I can do and then the contentment that you find in that is to say well if all of my contentment is getting to this point that might be five or ten or twenty steps in the future Mm. then I'm going to be dissatisfied for a very long time yes there's going to be this big window followed by very small moments of happiness that's very true and I remember listening to, oh, what's the name? Is it Nigel um, Latter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, Good work, Brain. <laughs> okay. I can't remember his name. I think it's exactly this person. Um, he talked about when he got his first book written and how he'd wanted to get a, write a book forever. And he even said himself, like, yeah, there was like a couple of days where he was like flying because he's like, woo, got my first book. And then, huh. Mm. So to... That's where the whole thing of contentment for me is is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And to complete that picture, I feel like a lot of contentment is found in what I would call powerful action, mm-hmm. which is just the awareness that I am making the next the, the choice to do the next thing that I do. Mm-hmm. That I'm not being forced into it. I'm not doing it because somebody else said so. But I choose to whatever. And it might be build a business or it might be to feed the hungry, mm-hmm. to make time for friends or family Mm. that seems to be more of a gateway to a sense of joy and happiness and fulfillment than event-based yeah i hear you man happiness and like to me like i feel like that's because you're living in a business world right that's the world you uh that's your a lot of your circles Mm. is business sure and so i can totally see how to operate in this world mm. you have to think that way sure you're right because there's so many small steps in business you're competing against mm. so many people simultaneously mm. Mm. i think that's a beautiful thing man mm. i respect it yeah so what else is on your mind um and then also i guess um i feel like 
I feel like that's like a western way to get to Rome. I do believe mm. in this sense though, all roads lead to Rome. I feel mm. like that's a western way of seeking holiness. Right. And I'm just, maybe I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, entranced with the eastern ways now. Just because I grew up with so much yeah, sure. of church stuff. Yeah, right. Now that I'm, and I love it, I'm always going to treasure that. Yeah. But I feel like I'm sort of leaning towards... I want to find what's so good about these other religions yeah. and maybe they do all point to the same thing. That's sort of what I'm toying with. Yeah, right. And um, because I feel like that would make sense to me uh-huh. as, as an idealist. Right. And in these cultures, sort of Indian culture and stuff, they sort of expect you to go out on these vision quests. It's, yeah. it's not about small steps. It's about like, same. it's like follow Jesus example. Yeah. Literally go to the desert for right. 40 days and fast. Literally do that. Just go do that. Cause, and they mm. would. And mm. so that was... Um, a similar sort of journey mm. but just these big risky steps yeah. instead of yeah I mean I've, I've thought about that that metaphor of wilderness for myself over the last little while too. oh that's cute. that's interesting yeah I'd love yeah. to hear what that is for you yeah um, well I mean to me the wilderness is more it, it's a separation from the from the routine it yes. is going through the motions every day and whatever your plans and objectives are for yourself. And then suddenly you find yourself in a place where motion doesn't seem productive. Yes. Like to go from point A to point B in the wilderness is not as purposeful yes. as somewhere else. Wow, right? I like that a lot too. Yeah, yeah definitely. Just came up with that right now. Really? Um, wow, yeah. that's nice. So the, the frustration that I've heard from myself and heard in other people when they're in a wilderness experience, what they would call, is that they can't see the point of where they're moving from A to B, which is fair enough. Like in a wilderness, the best you can end up in is more wilderness. <laughs> um, and, and we don't like that. And, and one of the metaphors that I've come up with, I don't know if metaphor is the right way to describe it, is that it's a time when I think you travel further internally than you do externally. I agree. And you are forced to confront <coughs> why you're doing what you're doing. And you come back different. Yeah. There's, a, there's a challenge in the wilderness. Yeah. I mean, the Christ example is, is quite an um, extreme one because in that case, he literally battled with the devil um, and had to come back with a clear sense of, do you really believe what you believe? Because I think that's what the wilderness makes you look at. Why, why would you persist in a place like that? You can either go back to where you were or you keep going and you come out the other side of it. Mm. And so that is the, the challenge of it. Mm. And I think one of the differences within, say, Christian faith is that that journey is also spiritually directed. So when talking about Jesus, it talks about how he was driven out into the wilderness. Mm. And then at some point he was led back. So there's this sense that that season is not your deliberate choice, which we don't like. Which is true. It's we, true. we hate that, right? Yeah. Like, oh man, I'm not in control. Yeah. And yet there's a sense of you're in that point for a length of time and you don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but there is a end date to it and you will come back a different person. Mm. I hear you. I think that's a really beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And it, yeah, it works in both ways. Like yeah. you, you're right. You can do it physically, mm. which, and some, which is spiritual in some ways, obviously. Sure. But then, yeah, you can do it mentally and emotionally, internally. Yeah. This is just as... The, the metaphor of death and rebirth still works, you know? Yeah. Be it, you know, I'm in this wilderness, I've just got to sort of, mm. like, give up on... Right. ...that it's going to... ...that this yeah. wilderness will end. Because mm. 
when you're walking, if you're waiting for it to end, it's going to, if you're walking through a literal wilderness, for example, and I'd imagine, this is the last one, this is the last one, with your machete, this is the last one, it would be painful, but it's like, just accept, this is your new normal, and then all of a sudden you'll be out. I'll tell you what came to mind when you said that, which, which excites me to share, mm-hmm. is the thought too that when you're traveling in the wilderness, you have to travel light. Yeah. Like you that's can't, good. that's and, really good. And you, the, have you seen, um, oh, what's the movie with Reese Witherspoon where she does the hike? Uh, uh, the Wild or something? Yeah, something like that. I and, have seen it, yeah. And you see the start of the journey. Damn, this is really good. The start of the journey, she has this massive pack. Yeah. Like this monstrous pack full yeah. of everything you can possibly yeah. imagine, yeah. right? And it basically kills her. Yeah. And, and she gets like five miles into this massive journey. Yeah. And she's just completely wiped herself out. Yeah. And as she goes along, she learns to travel lighter and lighter yeah, and lighter. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it, that's one thing that I think these experiences force us to do. Yeah, definitely. Is that there comes a point where you reach the end of yourself and you have to put something down. Yeah, exactly. And you become aware of the hierarchy of values that you hold. Mm-hmm. We don't hold, I don't believe we hold all our values equally. Mm-hmm. So somebody might say, you know, friendship and someone else might say career are, are equally important to me. Well, what the wilderness will do, it will push you to a point where you go, okay, choose. Now you can only carry one of those things. Wow. And look, I'm not even wow. going to say necessarily it's right or wrong, but wow. you, will, you will have to choose. Um, somebody who is trying to build a business, for example, might in that moment say, well, for me right now, I will neglect my personal relationships so I can spend more time on this business. Yeah. Now, whether it's right or wrong will be expressed. There's times and seasons, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer. Or a person might say, wow, actually, I spend more, too much time at work, not enough time with friends. Okay, I will only carry one of these things now. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. That's, uh, that's very deep. That's what these conversations are for, Josh. Yeah, like um, the, uh, it, 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 it affects me in the sense that I've got a lot on. Yeah, sure. And I have for the last six months. Like, yeah, sure. A lot. Like I wrote them all out. It's about twelve things. Damn son. They're like I'm really into. (laughs) (laughs) And it's that same thing. Yeah. And I feel like I'm my body's starting to tell me what you're what you're saying. Yeah. Which is that you're gonna have to choose. Yeah. You can't just kinda think of you (laughs) and then just really commit to that and stick around like you were saying before about Mm. um you know, if you stick around a place eventually you'll get promoted eventually you'll yeah you'll have this thing of seniority and yeah. leadership which yeah. is nice so yeah got to cut it down and spend more time at the start of and yeah how do you feel about that though because like when i hear that i've heard that kind of tone from myself as well like you know when you know something on the one level but you don't really know it on a heart level yeah i don't know it on a heart level that's yeah. why i'm still doing yeah. all these crazy things <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just yeah i can feel it yeah i feel it. it's like my body's like just chill. like you you're doing a lot you're expecting yeah. a lot right out of these interactions sure and you're getting a lot but it's kind of like you just need to be more content with mm. a, mm, with sort of seeing the same people because okay. that's community right yeah, you sure. start to create community if you're seeing the same people every week as opposed to just 35 different ones mm. Mm. and it doesn't have to be as exclusive as you know like some church communities where it's like you all your friends are within the church yeah, and right. no one else is your friend and it's like yeah, oh what's good yeah. you got you're stuck you're stuck <laughs> Yeah. That's a fast track to becoming a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
That's interesting. How about you? Because you, how many things do you feel like you have a lot on, or mm. the right amount? Uh, I. What do I feel like right now? I a few months ago. So when I started, I, I wrote and developed a seminar of my own, which I was like, okay, cool. I've learned a whole bunch of really helpful stuff. How do I share this best with people? And realized that that was where my energy was. And so I thought, cool, I'll do that. And so I've done that and I've delivered it to, you know, our first group and I'm looking to do it again in November just to kind of make sure I've guinea pigged enough people. But then you've also got the practicalities of life as well. It says, well, that's really cool, but you also need to, you know, like buy food, mm. which is important. Mm. So <laughs> there's the practical aspects of that kind of thing too. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. I guess what I'm starting to see is how to... I, I used to put all of the weight of significance on the career path that I chose. And, and I don't think it's about not worrying about that at all, but me realizing that actually, well, I can now see why I could do a job that maybe is not 100% of what I'm about, but it's close enough that I can do it and, and get value out of it, like personal significance out of it. But then also see that there could be other things that I do, like this podcast, for example, mm. and you know this this other seminar thing that I look to do maybe quarterly starting next year, as a properly delivered kind of thing. And going, okay, well, what would that even look like? Um, how how could I do that? Can I do that? What do I what do I really want? Mm. And that question for me is something I felt I've only learned to ask in the last year or two. What do you want? Like, what do you want out of the? The, the actual work or out of the rewards of the work? What do you think about oh, that? Um, I want the work, I, I look for the work in and of itself to be rewarding. I think that, like I said to you, with that future goal-based thing, I don't want to have these occasional moments of, yeah, I've arrived and now, oh, okay, now nothing for like six months. Like mm. It's almost like saying, what would I do independent of how much I can get paid for it, like what would I do right now? And then going, okay, but it is important to get paid as well. Mm -hmm. So how do I combine the two? In some ways, and it's kind of <clears throat> later in life to figure it out, but better late than never, I almost feel like this is the kind of stuff that would have been cool to think about maybe when I was just leaving school. Mm. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the years I wasted <laughs> already. <laughs> Just like speaking from somebody like ten years older than you, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, like, uh, no, but you're right. Like, and the, but isn't that again like that universal experience? Yeah, we all feel like we've wasted our time. Yeah, it does feel that way. I mean, I just turned twenty six, and like, yeah. uh, it just seems like. And obviously, it's not like old or anything, but it's like it's just a funny age because it's like okay, before I was early twenties, mm. now I'm late 20s you know you yeah. know those and it's meaningless these sure. terms and concepts are meaningless but right. you've, you've sort of always got these things in the back here by this age I, sh I should have maybe had this and this mm. and this and why not and it's like don't go down that rabbit hole like well, that's well no you see because when you say that it, what, what it makes me think about though is is those are questions of meaning and purpose true and those are good questions yeah and, but, and yeah. I think a lot of people get their answers to those things second hand like, what is my meaning and my purpose? Oh, that feels really uncomfortable. What does everyone else say it should be? Uh, house and a mortgage. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm safe from that one. I mean, that's a yeah. That's right. not even an option really for my generation. But um, uh, even well, getting a mortgage yeah. for most, you know, for most. Yeah, maybe. They've already got a student debt and. Mm. I, I do think that's actually. I mean, this will be a nice tangent to explore, actually. So something that came up with again that anti-fragile book is it talked about how often in our attempts to account for randomness and chaos and disorder and things like that. We try and eliminate all the little disruptions, but it makes us very vulnerable to one big disruption. So you think of somebody who's gone in for home ownership, for example, mm. on, the, on the most part, they would seem quite stable and protected and all this kind of stuff. But if the housing market collapses, mm. Exactly. That's, that's totally what I'm always saying to people. <laughs> and people go, oh yeah, the housing market will collapse. Whatever. That's so right. crazy. That yeah, would yeah. never happen. And he you're like, it, it just happened. And no, nothing changed. We didn't have a revolution. We still, <laughs> we still have these awful systems. <laughs> None of the bankers went to jail. Who <laughs> oh, orchestrated this mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, it's very true. It's very true. It's like the perceived um the perceived security of the thing sure. is what's made it such, such an expensive thing sure a house it's not worth that much wood and cement it's not worth a million dollars no it's no well i mean look it, it is this is where market forces are fascinating to understand right? right because something is worth what people will pay for it but those kind of cataclysms that you're talking about are the moments where we start to go well, what's really important here that's a big statement though something is worth what people will pay for it yeah something is that's deep man worth you think sure. about worth is deep yeah it's worth that mm -hmm. i feel like um i feel like i'm not against the sacredness of objects but i uh -huh. think like if you're saying in a way you're saying in a way if i buy like a gucci jacket in uh -huh. a way i'm saying this item is sacred Right. Why is it sacred? Because I spent $600 on it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that's an example of ways where the market just is a mess well, on people's psychology. Well, it's a question of, 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 of meaning and significance again, though, right? That's true. Like, what am I trying to do? I am trying to... Well, caveat at the very beginning, aesthetics is a thing. Yes. And it's completely okay that some stuff we like because we like and that's fine. Like, not everything is, is deeply, I don't know, psychologically motivated or whatever. That wasn't as articulate as I would have liked. <laughs> what I will say with some of those things, though, is that status symbols and things like that, what yes. am I really buying? Yes. I'm not really buying the jacket. And these, these thoughts don't come to us in our consciousness. I'm buying significance, yeah. I'm buying the, not just success, but the appearance and the signaling of success to right. other people, yes. I'm buying esteem from other people. I'm buying a crown. Ooh, nice. I'm buying some sort of crown. I'm buying a crown. And when I, I walk around, that. people are going to go, that's a pretty nice crown, that's we should crown. give them a little bit more respect. Mm, <laughs> I wonder where I got that <laughs> And then there will be other people say, I bet he got that crown by ripping something off. <laughs> I bet he stole that crown from someone. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It's like you get... You get more admirers, but more haters. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's an easy way to offset the uncomfortableness that we feel. Like, yes. So here's okay. Here's the big question for me right now. We'll see what you come back with on this one, right? Mm. So, I have in learning about personal power and things like that. One of the themes that you hear a lot 
is this idea of the locus of control or locus of power. What's a locus? Locus, Location? like a, like a um, loci, Latin point. It's like the focus point. The, right, the, the locus of... A locus of control. Of control. Or control. locus of power is another way of describing it. And it's just a, um, a dichotomy of... One of them is to say, well, some people look at their life and say it's a whole bunch of things that happen to me. So the the power and control is outside of me and things happen to me. So mm-hmm. like imagine a stick figure with arrows pointing into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, oh, the reverse of that is an internal one where you say, no, no, I make choices. I take actions and that happens to the world around me. So you get mm-hmm. the stick figure and then arrows pointing outward, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that they find in psychology is that in terms of personal well-being, having an internal locus of power is far better than an external one. So instead of saying, oh man, all these things keep happening to me and why does this happen and why does this happen and why doesn't this happen, mm. to instead say, well, what are the things that I can do? What are the choices that I can make? I am in control. <clears throat> that tends to lead to a better quality of life, mm. um, which I would, I would agree with. But here's what blows my mind. So when you go to a 12 step meeting, which I would recommend everybody go to, one of the central tenets of the 12 steps at the very beginning for there to be any meaningful change is to acknowledge that your life has become unmanageable and that you need to turn your control of your life over to a higher power. Mm -hmm. And the phrase they use is God as I understand. Which is a mix of business language and Christianese, I believe. Okay, well, maybe so. <laughs> I mean, it works. That's why it was so sure. successful. You know, I'm not, I'm not dissing yeah. it. I'm just saying it's amazing how different forces yeah. come together in history to create such huge institutions mm. that go so beyond the original faith-based service. Okay, yeah, maybe. Um, well, we can come back to that. Cause Sorry, that was that, a side no, no, step. Good. I got hooked on the wrong point. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Uh, but, right, I but I hear you. Yeah, so, but my thought is this, right? Like, you've got a group like that that meets together, and their central purpose is here are people whose lives have not worked out. Their lives are in a state of mess, yes. <laughs> disorder. Yes. And the central thing that they have to do to turn their life around is to acknowledge that they don't have control and power and that there's an external you know, that they need to turn their life over to another outside force. Yes. Whatever you want to call it. And yet there's also this other school of thinking that says the best thing that you can do for your life is to take personal control over it and responsibility and say that you are the one responsible for the things that happen to you. Mm. So that's what's blowing my mind right now. Like, how do you resolve those two things? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's tr- I think a lot of people, you know, mm. are dealing with that sort of dichotomy. Yeah. It's a bit of a paradox. It is. To exist and, yeah. Yeah. These are the things you think about when you think too much, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's helpful. Like some of the guys are literally just like, well, I don't know, man. I'll just go to work and make money. Like, cool, <laughs> man. That's fine. No, but it's, it's, I definitely think it's important to examine systems and yeah. see how they're treating the people within them. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I guess that's sort of good businesses, right? Like a business owner, everyone within this little system sure. is being getting what they sort of need mm. and want. And mm. I can see the... Yeah. See that? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't have an answer to that yet. And I think that's probably the one of the best places you can at least come to is acknowledging when you don't have an answer and then just stop. Like for now, I don't have the answer to that. And yep. that's that's okay. Because to round this out about this whole past authoring thing as well is that that's the trap of analysis, right? Like that's the trap I fell into for a very long time is mm. trying to analyze everything and then I have to get a solution for everything and then it has to be... I have to have the reason for everything. 
and then realizing at some point, well, actually, you kind of don't. <laughs> I agree, you don't, yeah. I agree with that. The trap of the overthinker. So what else then, with, with this past authoring thing then as well, to kind of wrap up around that thought too, what else has been worthwhile for you about that process? Um, just about like redeeming certain seasons. Okay. Of my story. Okay. Is that a corny way to put it? No. Okay. My story. Um, the, uh, you know, like finding, because I was only finding three like really beautiful memories out of mm. each sort of seven years of my life. Uh-huh. And like even ones that I didn't really like, uh-huh. I found really amazing. Oh, cool. Things. Yeah. And it just encourages me that there is a plan. There is sort of some sure. sort of... Um, it's not all random because I can look back and see, oh, because I feel sometimes that mm. where I am is random. Mm. It's like, man, I've got such a weird mix of uh, ideas and interests. And so, um, yeah, just bringing it back to narrowing, narrowing down my focus to stardom because I saw that in my past, me yeah. sitting under the stars like as a kid going, whoa, that's amazing. Cool. And then now I'm like, that's why, that's why, yeah. you know, people will yeah. say, Oh, did you want to do this your whole life when I'm at the stardom? And they go, they say, what got you into this? I'm like, good question. I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's really weird that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I started showing up periodically yeah. and here I am. And um, that's See, a, I think there's something very powerfully present about that though. Mm. That when you're able to, the best advice I've received, and I generally am not a fan of advice, but was somebody, somebody said to me, learn how to follow your fascinations. Yeah. And instead of overthinking stuff, I have observed that we tend to be quite protective of the things that we like. We don't always tell everybody the things that we're into. Mm. Some people are embarrassed about the things that they're into. True. Why? What if you like some corny kind of music, or corny as I would describe it, but you really like it, or type of movie, or type of food, or whatever. We don't share that stuff freely. Yep. And I think it's because it's close to our heart. Yep. And instead of trying to explain it away, like there's no surer way to diminish your, your enjoyment of something than have to explain why you like it. Totally. Like what if you just like it? <laughs> totally. And so when you talk about going to the star dome, instead of going, well, why do you like the star dome? What is it that caused you to like the star dome? Would you always love the star dome? It's like, what if you just said, you know what? I like the star dome. I'm going to go to the star dome. Okay. <laughs> And this is, I mean, the flip, you know, that's a benefit of the privilege. Right. Is that you, you might have access. You might have a bit more spare time. I know mm. I've probably had a bit more spare time. That's the thing I'm most grateful for sure. from my upbringing is I'm not stressed. I'm 26 and I'm not, like, yeah. stressed out working. Ditto, yeah. And partly that's because of the way, you know. I have that thought every now and then, actually, when I think about, yeah, like, most people don't look forward to what they do 9 to 5. Like, it's all about what they do after 5 p.m. or on the weekends, which is what we started this conversation with. And so to be in a place where you can go, maybe I don't have everything that I want right now, or things aren't exactly as I would design them, but you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good most days. I'm, I'm enjoying most days. I'm not going to a job that I hate, dealing with problems that I don't care about, talking to people that I don't like. Mm. Bonus. Yeah, big time. I mean, 
And that was the biggest killer for me in the past was small talk, like uh-huh. on the like working on the front counter of a shop, for example. Oh god, tell me and about you that. just gotta it's just you feel like a robot and it's like <laughs> it almost programs you a little bit. Oh man, yeah, I don't To like feel it. like a robot, like ooh. I wonder what's a good solution to that, man, because I feel that too. How do you well, I, I suppose one answer would be just smaller communities. Just have like, but that sounds really boring for most people, but like, yeah. um, if you have small communities, you'd see each other a lot more and mm. you'd have a relationship better. Possibly. Because yeah. you'd know their parents and I, you know, you'd know everyone right. in the town. It's the whole small town sort of picture. But, you know, there's parts of that that I find very boring at the same time. So Yeah, yeah. We're like, stuck in between. It's like content. It's like to lean towards contentment or lean towards ambition. Because you, mm. you kind of can't really do both. What do you think? Well, no, I would, I would say that to do something meaningful is lead, leads to contentment. Like we need purpose, right? We need. I don't know if you can have meaning without any action at all. Mm. To make an impact on the world, you need to do something. As I. Respectfully disagree. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Go on then. I think, again, like if you use like the archetype of a monk, like a holy man who goes up to the hills, and yeah, I would say, I'm not. I don't think everyone should do that. Right. I don't think everyone's wired to do that. Uh-huh. But I think there's a much there's a big segment. You know, like, say it was like ten percent of the population. Uh-huh. I think should do that. Go really? off into the hills, pray. Mm-hmm. You know, like live with the plants live uh-huh. live earth and yeah. we can live in the city and have all of our modern sure. advances yeah have be have ambition whatever mm-hmm. but have that person out there to go out and to stay with and this sort of village sort of shamanic when figure st- when you say stay with them, like what would happen but have like a community because like sorry i feel like that's a bait and switch because okay that, that, that's my point though is that even for a person to go and do that the value that they contribute is then when other people can come and talk with them or you're able to invest of the things that you've learned. Um, I, I feel like a purely monastic life is a waste of time because if you are completely separated from other people, it's actually a very selfish life. To, to have that time and space to be able to meditate on things and, and gain access to greater insight and then just to keep that to yourself no, but that's why people visit. Yeah, but that, so that's, that's what right. I'm saying. So when I say you need to have something to do, I'm not necessarily saying in a commercial sense, but there to be a, a purpose or some kind of action that at least says this, what I have is not just for me, it is for someone else, some other thing yes. than just me. Yes. And you need to have that Yes. in whatever level that it's at to have a sense of meaning and purpose and significance. You need to have just so we so basically we agree on you know they're both what that you were doing something for yeah that you are doing something like it maybe not commercial yeah might have been I totally you were thinking yeah no I totally hear you man yeah because I have this exact same conversation with my dad when we're talking about like welfare and it's like oh right and I'm thinking and he's um and you know he says you know if they if they can't work then they shouldn't eat basically sure and I'm on the other side going. Well, they're human beings, and we have to take care of them. Sure. But I can see, mm. I can see the, the sort of subliminal insult from yeah. his perspective because he worked as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. So for someone else to not work out of it and want what he has, sure. I can totally see that. I would be the exact same way. Yeah. But um, see, because I would, I would also question, and this is the thing that comes up about the universal basic income as well, right? Mm. Like, we were just talking about this last week. That's amazing. That came up. I oh, love this topic. Okay. So from a uh, a human needs perspective, supplying somebody with a base amount of money is fine. Like, okay, if you're going to do that, but even uh, taking the economics out of the equation which is actually a massive part of it anyway like how would you pay for that at all um the assumption there then is that if you were to do that people would be okay but i don't think they would like you would need to have some form of purpose to what you're doing yes to not go crazy or to, to I agree. Not become massively depressed but here's, here's here's my answer to that okay community gardens Sure. Yeah. Fine. They grow. They grow food. Yeah. <clears throat> they fine. grow food for the community. Yeah. Fine. And that's their job. They have to show up two days a week. Right. If they can. Yeah. If they're healthy enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. Like, if, if there is, there is something because even for that person's well-being, it's it's not even about saying, well, you can't just sit around at home not doing anything. Um, it's to say that even for their sense of self, mm. to feel like I am turning up, bringing who I am and what I've got, even if it's just physical strength or whatever, but I'm using this to contribute to something bigger than myself. Hmm. Like that is a fundamental human need. I totally agree, man. And I, I can see what you're saying. You're saying it's, it's unhealthy for these people yeah. to live in that way. And I yeah. totally agree. I've yeah. been in places times in my life where I don't have enough yeah. to do. And it makes me sad. Yeah. I'm just saying there are, again, there are a huge part of the population artists sure. who feel, who can get that, Mm. but they can't you know they don't need to do 40 hours that week because they'll go into their room and have this amazing sculpture that like inspires the people out there sure it's a big community and I get that people should be working in some form yeah I totally respect that Mm. but I just feel like the way it's it is they're not really they don't really get given those opportunities no well that's true I mean I, I would say and this is more of a cultural critique as well like there have been times in the past where the wealthier in society would have would patron patronize. Yeah, that was and that worked. I think yeah. that was perfect. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, well, because interestingly, maybe not perfect, you know, but is the emergence yeah. of have you heard of Patreon? Yeah, right. That's a great, great so, website. So that's great content. that's something that I'm trying to get my head around as well. But that you would have wealthy people who would see the value of an artist. Yeah, and look. It's not pure either because there is a commercial thing to it and there's a bit of ego involved yeah, because human nature, true. you know, because like, freaking human nature, like don't romanticize why people do what they do throughout history. There's always going to be this, this, this strand of that. But to have a culture where wealthy people were encouraged to support the arts mm-hmm. of their own accord, mm-hmm. have a pocket musician or a pocket artist <laughs> or a yeah. whatever. Yeah. Be like, supporting some artists. That was somewhere. kind of cool, and and what we've kind of done by the irony of even like the social safety net that we have yes. on one level is that there is no virtue now to saying I will support this person. That's very true. Very true. And and the thing is too, here's from a from a feeling good about it point of view. People complain all the time about their money going to beneficiaries. I believe I, well. I don't just believe it. I know it from study that's gone into generosity is that the times when generosity does not produce an increase in happiness for other people is where they feel they didn't have a choice. And we've talked about this a little bit as well, where if I choose to help you, 
then I'll feel good about helping you. If I feel like I have to do it, mm. I'm not going to feel the same way. Mm. And so if I feel like I have to pay my taxes and it has to go to these people, I don't feel good about it. Yeah. But if I'm able to choose to say, I want to support this person, True. which is again, kind of what the Patreon website's about as well, right? It says, I want to contribute to this. Yes. Then I feel good about it. Yep. Although technically I've done the same thing. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. I like it. So, final thoughts on the um, self-authoring program then. Yeah, so just great little journey. I did goal setting as just a kid and as a teenager, and so, sure. and I feel like it's a great way to end an epoch. <laughs> ending an epoch. Maybe I should call this episode Ending an Epoch. It's a shame I can't put this part out first before I actually post it so I can get the name. Yeah, I, I found it. How have I found it? I don't want to give just a trite answer to it. It's been it's been very cool to think of it from a point of view of what do I really want? Like what really matters to me? And then how can I contribute with that? That's been really cool. And being able to have conversations about it actually has been really, really good as well. So we might have to look for other excuses to do this kind of thing. Totally. I think. Um, and for those of you listening as well, we are keen to hear your feedback. Don't all just be messaging Josh for crying out loud. No, like, just message help me. Help a brother out. That's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, so you can message Josh. It's fine. Um, if you do want to get in touch with me, remember you can do it via the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. There's also the Facebook.com slash the Andrew Curtis Show if you want to check this out there. But thank you again for listening. And if you do want to do the self-authoring program for yourself, you can go to selfauthoring.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for you.